0: So how was the, the guys? season? It doesn't seem like too long ago. Abby and I were up there, and you gave us some good tips about fishing uh, some of the rivers up there, and um, it was a little bit early because it was June, but super fun, had a great time up there, and uh, you had some some clips that went uh, went viral, uh, that one of the, the mouse fishing, one of that, uh, it, it kind of looked like and reminded me of those brown trout, those voracious brown trout that come out uh, down south that just... Destroy any uh, anything that's on top of the surface there, uh, mouse-wise or or rodent-wise. But um, yeah, do you have any highlights from the summer season? Yeah, I mean it's
1: probably been my busiest season I've ever had. Um, We pretty much guided from I think my outfitter started like middle of May, and I had my last trip this past Tuesday in October. So it was pretty busy all the way through. I know that. From like July 19th through the 17th of August, I had like two days off. So we were oh, just grinding. I think my longest stretch was like 15 in a row. Um, but yeah, it was a super good season. Um it was it started out pretty slow when you were up here. Um it was it was just kind of getting going. It seemed like it had a, a slower start. Um, but once we got into you know later June, uh into July, things started picking up. We started having some of the first salmon come in and seemed like once those, those Kings came in, things started to pick up, fish started to get uh, better. I don't know if the, it seemed like a lot of the trout uh, were still out in the main river and were taking their time to, mm-hmm. to come in. Once they came in, it's almost like, oh man, you can almost sense it. Like there's just more life here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once the Kings came in, started dumping eggs, it was pretty much a game on from then. And. We had a, a good pink here this year. Just so many pinks you could walk across the surface of the water. It seemed yeah. like they were everywhere. Um, good chum run this year. We got probably more chums in the boat this year than I've ever had. Um, and then our silver fishing was a little bit slower. I think I might have put a dozen in the boat. They were really late this year. We had some restrictions um, later in the season because they were so uh, low in numbers but, um, yeah, it had a good time with that. And then, yeah, the trout fishing was good and it's still surprisingly good now here into October. It seems like, uh, we were still finding fish pretty far up river cause you know, they come up in the spring and then they go back down in the fall, but we we're still finding them, you know, several miles up river. Most of them are down low, but it's, it's surprising how spread out they still are. Mm-hmm.
0: What's the fly variation. So like your, your may, fly box versus uh kind of toward the end here when you were finishing up how much did that change um it changes
1: quite a bit um in the in you know may june you're um fishing more of those faded eggs from last year your flesh patterns um then we start having those salmon fry headed down so you start fishing your you know uh, bait fish invitations your woolly buggers stuff like that and then um after those fry are kind of leaving mid to late June, you start going more towards your lamprey imitations. So your Dalai llamas, um, your bigger streamers fishing that around structure, um, King. And then that's, you know, like you were saying about the the mouse video, that's when we kind of get into our mousing seems to be that late June, early to mid July. They don't have the food source of the fry. The water's dropping a little bit. You kind of need that good, um, Good water where it's low um they're in the cover it's clear water you're not having that runoff from winter Mm -hmm. so that's that's when we throw those mice and like that video that went viral that was taken that was actually last year um i want to say like early july Mm -hmm. um and then i think i sent you one too that was about that same time frame water was low um fish were starting to look up a little bit more Um, never actually put a fish in the boat this year on a mouse, we didn't, I didn't fish it a ton. Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely, you know, if they were coming up, especially if they were hitting like the indicator or something, that's when, okay, boom, we got to switch over and, and try that mouse. But, um, so yeah, mid July, that's kind of when, um, the mousing takes place and then you get into late July, the Kings are in, they're starting to spawn those trout. You'll start seeing them move out of their you know, their cover and they're going to follow those kings wherever they can um, and they'll, they're sitting right there ready waiting for those kings to start dropping eggs and they're like grabbing those eggs as soon as they come out um, and then you got your pinks coming in the thing with the pinks and the chums is there's so many fish in the river they'll push those trout out of the way whether they're actually like nudging them out or the trout are just like I'm done with this. Like there's just too many. And you'll see those trout, Like, they look upset because they're like on the outside of their holes and they're kind of moving around. So you have a couple, two or three weeks of displacement. And then those pinks are starting to lay eggs. And that's really when things kick off. Cause those trout are, I mean, I have some videos of trout. You've got like a know, three or four pound pink right here on one side. And then there's literally a trout that size or bigger parallel anywhere that pink moves that fish <laughs> move right with them. Um, I I've seen them just sitting behind reds. Like you you'll see a whole shallow gravel bar full of pinks, and then they'll you can sit there with polarized glasses, like, okay, there's a bow, there's a bow, there's a bow. And you can actually sight fish the trout that time of year with a bead fishing right behind them and um picking those things out. And a lot of times you'll be sight fishing to one, and then all of a sudden your bobber will go down, you'll set the hook, and there was a trout, you know, a few feet away you can see. And I've seen at that time of year when we're fishing those fresh eggs, those trout will move 10, 15 feet. If you have a bead bouncing down through a hole and that fish sees it, I've seen them move a long ways and go intercept. And it's really cool when you see a 20 plus inch rainbow, like eat your bead in like four or five inches of water. Yeah.
0: Now, it's always the coolest thing to watch something come up or move to it and just like, oh my gosh, here we go, here we go. That's an excitement that you don't see anywhere else when people talk about their, my favorite type of fishing, I said, well, that that's right there. Sure. King mm-hmm. salmon fishing is unbelievable. It's so much more fun, but you don't have that same feeling you get when you see the fish move to it. So even though it's a, you know, 12 inch or 20 inch trout, you know, that you intend to, to release, it's still unbelievable to, to watch that happen. There's so much more suspense rather than just watch the, uh, if you're trolling, well, you know, watch it just come out of the clip and it's taken line, then you fight it. But uh, when you are fishing and there's so many fish in there, like, like you said, you can walk across their backs. How often do you get, uh, foul hooks? Because you can like do a dead drift, but then as soon as it starts to swing a little bit, like, how do you, how do you keep from just hooking up on a, or a foul hooking a pink every time?
1: It just happens sometimes, <laughs> you know, a lot of times with a bee, when you're fishing for trout, you're, you're not hooking as many, you'll hook a few, And a lot of times you'll actually floss those pinks because those pinks are just kind of sitting there with their mouths open. A lot of times they'll hook pinks doing that. Um, But it seems like when we're snagging fish unintentionally, um, it's a lot of times when you're casting and stripping for pinks. we we got a lot of folks, you know, they've never caught a salmon or, you know, they're just stoked to catch any fish and they're casting, you know, streamers and stuff and stripping it back. And you're going to hook a few um, that are foul hooked. And a lot of times, you know, if it's a pink or something small or in slow water, I'll just have that client reel that fish in as fast as possible. Maybe grab the leader and pull it in fast. Sometimes I'll have a client bring me their line. If I can grab that fly line, just give it a quick pop. I can pop that fly out of the side of the fish or it'll snap off. Um, but yeah, it's just snapping them off for popping them off, getting them off as fast as we can and getting them back in the water. What kind of leader are you using? Um, for salmon, a lot of times I'm just going straight from my fly line to like a section of 25 pound maxima to a section of 12 pound maxima. And that's maybe in three feet because those, those salmon are super picky and um, just it's they're a little bit easier to cast those bigger bugs when you've got more fly line out as opposed to more um, leader and tipping. And then for trout, um, I do like a 25 pound maxima for my leader material drop that down to like 15 to 12 to
0: 10 in about
1: eight feet or so.
0: Yeah. That, uh, the tapered leader, nine foot sections, those are beautiful pre- to, uh, for presenting f- dry flies to trout down South, but up here, it just kind of, you need some rugged, strong stuff. You're not worried about uh present presentation so much as just getting that heavy flyer, get that uh, heavy rig out there. And it's, it's not artful. It's just put it where it needs to go and, and uh, make it happen
1: yeah for sure and those are expensive too you know a tapered leader costs four five six bucks a piece whereas i buy one spool of 25 pound maxima i've actually been using the same spool for three seasons and uh, then a section of 15 i'll go through in a season and then a section of 12 and 10 i'll go through like two spools in a season so i mean it lasts a long time and i think it. you know they're more abrasion resistant that maxima is pretty strong stuff i can i can honestly i mean you fish that river it's full of snags oh yeah and a lot of times i always have clients point that rod tip whenever they get snagged on a log or something pop it off and a lot of times it's actually going to bend the hook out instead mm-hmm. bend that hook back and and keep going
0: yeah that uh when you get snagged on on those submerged branches and some of them come out of nowhere you don't even know what the heck is going on but you have to be close to that because that's kind of where they're where they're holding i had a couple that uh I had a pretty successful day, one of the first days I was up there, super awesome, and then the water dropped six or so inches. and then I saw where I was fishing. I thought, oh my gosh, how did I not get snagged every single time? But the current was just swift enough to move it like up and over the little branches, but just put it in there very tantalizingly and I was using a Dalai Lama and man, once you can see where you're fishing, it just it it's one of those things that the real, the the fish or the the river is revealed to you and you could fish it so much more effectively once you know that and then you think mm-hmm. man anything i caught before was just probably beginner's luck because i i thought it looked like this but it was not, a, not nothing at all like i like i thought it was
1: yeah yeah and then you know that's the benefit of being able to float the river every day when i'm out there is like you start to recognize where those snags are and they'll be like fishing with clients and they'll be like all right everybody lift their lines up and like oh why are we lifting them up I'm like oh, trust me you don't want to fish here <laughs> I don't want to fish here. I don't want to have to retie. So, I mean, there are whole sections of the river, like there'll be whole corners. I'm like, Hey guys, we're going to have a, not a very great chance of catching a fish here, but a great chance of losing our gear. Mm -hmm. So we're not even going to fish this hundred yards. It's not worth our time. It's not worth our effort, but that, that is something you get if you fish it every day.
0: Are there some spots that, you know, hold fish, but to get them with clients would probably be a, impossible because it's it's a very specific angle, very specific depth or maybe you would have to get out and you'd have to fish it from just a really difficult spot and approach. Do you do you have some of those spots where you go back and fish by yourself just to kind of see if it's doable for clients? Yep.
1: Yeah, definitely. Especially, you know, there's certain areas where there are log jams and you can't even cast you have to kind of be able to almost like with a pendulum like Mm. flip your line right into those log jams and just jig it just perfectly to get that thing to eat so there are places where i can see a fish or i know there's fish there but i won't even mess with it just because i know it's going to be tough and unless i've got a more experienced angler in the Mm. boat that can do it a lot of times i'm like i'm gonna mess with it right now
0: some of those spots too that you have the cut banks and it's so swift. You think, man, I, I know there have to be fish there, but I just can't, I don't think I'm getting down fast enough. And I don't think I'm heavy enough. It seems like you could have, you could have a, a cannonball and it would still, you know, you would only get there very briefly. So how do you deal with, uh, understanding whether or not you're getting down, uh, fast enough. And how much do you give some of those areas that are, that are cut banks that are deep, that, you know, hold fish, uh, do you mess around with it for a long time? Do you try to figure it out or you just kind of give her a good shot and move on?
1: Um, so for the, for the weight situation, I always try to run heavier than I might think. Like I run two number seven, um, split shot. Um, I want to be tapping the bottom. So if I'm fishing an indicator, I want to be able to see every once in a while that bobber just kind of like bounce, 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 bounce. Uh, I don't want to see it just going with the flow. Cause I know at that point I'm not anywhere near the bottom. So going as deep as I can. And to be honest, in, in that specific of water, um, I try to stay away from that heavier stuff. So, you know, back home in the lower 48, I would be fishing those outside corners. Um, but it seems like up here, uh, especially this summer, those outside corners have more you know, logs and more junk in there that you're going to get ha- tangled on, hooked on. Um, but also, it just, it seems like there's almost too much current for some of those fish to hold in there. So if I see a really nice cut bank, I might actually come maybe three or four feet off of that and fish just to the inside of the um, that heavy stuff, kind of where I wear that slow and that fast water. I mean, it seems like a lot of times you'll get a better presentation, there'll be more fish holding there, and there'll be um, less likelihood of snagging on something. So getting down deep as heavy as I can and then coming just a little bit off those banks, unless I am fishing something like a mouse where I know I'm not going to get snagged up. I'll just pop that thing as tight to that bank as I can and, and skate that thing back.
0: Yeah. I really like those inside edges because if there is just one rock that piles up a little bit and, and creates a little bit of slack water right there and they can just hang right there and go and shoot out. So those inside edges are, are awesome, but I always end up thrown into the, the the deep outer just, just to see, you know, just to see if something can come out and it almost never works and I always get snagged up. I mean, so I, I don't know, but just that, temptation just fish that inside edge really really well but i don't know i just have to go for it sometimes i guess
1: yeah for sure that was one thing last year i noticed um so that would have been my second season on that river one day i just wasn't doing good wasn't doing good on that outside edge and i just had this thought i'm like i'm gonna flip the boat 180 degrees flipped it 180 degrees in the next like two or three casts boom we started Mm -hmm. catching fish so just
0: trial and error Was there something big that you learned this summer that uh, made you think, okay, I got this more figured out or some other sort of tactic or something that you found to be super, super effective that you're really excited to really hone in or use next year?
2: From billion-dollar ad budgets and arena naming rights to tens of thousands of retail locations, big wireless providers spend big to appear like they're your only option. How do they afford it all? (laughs) that big bill you get at the end of every month. Mint Mobile had a different idea. Instead of brick-and-mortar overhead, Mint Mobile is online only. What does that mean for you? A whole lot of savings because wireless plans from Mint Mobile start at just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just $15 a month. You'll save enough that you can get a brand new rod and reel for the upcoming season. For anyone who just hates their phone bill... Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan, and you can even keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. By going online only and eliminating traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Um, I think... That's a tough one.
1: Um, Definitely the extra weight, getting down deep, I think was a big thing, especially as we started getting into the, um, the bead drop, um, just getting down deeper as fast as I can. But I, I also do think that, um, knowing the the type of water that a lot of the fish like to hold in. Um, and it, it seems like, you know, I talk about it a lot when I talk to my clients, I'm like, Hey, this is the water we're fishing. Um, and that's the mid river drop. Um, so I've started to notice that these fish like, uh, wherever it goes from shallow to deep, if you can see that nice tan gravelly bottom, that may be, you know, up to four or five feet of water, but if it just t- suddenly drops off to like abyss where it's like dark bluish or green and you can't see the bottom, like right where you lose that clarity and you just can't make out bottom detail. That's where I seem to find probably 90% of my fish. So there's this one run in particular I can picture Every time I see a guide boat or a recreational angler go over it, they're floating down the middle of the river and they're casting to the edge. But in this stretch, it goes from, it's kind of like deeper on river, right? And there's a cut bank and and there are fish there and it's really shallow in the middle. And then in the middle of the river, just, there's a two logs and it just like a funnel and it just drops off into probably 10 feet of water. And everybody's always fishing that cut bank on the outside but I always bring my boat, and I, my boat is probably only in a foot of water. Sometimes dragging bottom, and I have clients fish right into that abyss. And I can't think of a time that we floated that where we didn't at least hook into a fish uh, or land two or three out of there. And just on my last trip, I think we pulled three or four fish right out of that hole. And that's just knowing it's there's that sudden drop off. So I always look for those drop offs where I just just start to lose that bottom detail. Um, And then a big thing is casting upstream of it. A lot of people, they see that, and they're going to put that cast right where it loses detail. But by the time your flies or your beads or whatever hit the bottom and get down to depth, you're already past where those trout are. past. So the big thing is casting, you know, six to ten feet upstream. Let that fly or your bead or whatever hit the bottom, tap, 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 tap. And then as soon as you go off the drop-off, you're right into that trout's face and they're ready to scoop Mm. it up
0: what's the information sharing like so if you figure something else like like that and there's a guy someone that you're guiding with you think hey man i'm fishing the spot like this this has been awesome this fly this depth this wedge or i found this other thing do you share a lot of that stuff hoping to get some stuff back or are you kind of just hey you figure it out i'll figure it out but you know you got to fish the river the way you want to fish it too and um how, how does sharing go
1: um, you know, pretty, I, I try to be pretty open with people, uh, you know, especially people that I know really well, especially, you know, my outfitter um, Shane and I, we mean, we'll be on the water every day and we'll literally call each other two or three times a day. i like, Hey, where are you find them on? Where are you finding them? Hey, I'm leaving this spot. This is where I was finding them. So um, people I'm really close to, I'll share information with other people, you know, it, it just kind of depends on, you know, that relationship with that person. But yeah, I'm, I'm usually pretty open, like, hey, you know, I'm fishing this bead color and this is kind of the water I'm fishing them. So I yeah. try to be pretty
0: open. Yeah. It's good to be friendly. You, know, you get a reputation for being someone who's friendly and might give you some, some tips, but a lot of times the tips are very ambiguous, which is good because mm-hmm. if you told everybody everything about how to fish it, then, you know, it's, <laughs> you're going to be corking yourself. So the same thing with hunting and say, like, and Brandon and I were talking about this on that moose hunt uh, or his moose recap, when you're out there, it's fine to be helpful. It's nice to be helpful to other people, but yeah. uh, if you become the type of person who just shares everything to anyone, then you're not going to get much information back because people know that it's, it's going to go to everyone. So, uh, it's that balance of being helpful, being friendly versus oversharing.
1: Yeah. Well, and especially, you know, if I see, let's say like, there's a, a local family that I might see on the river a couple of times a year and I'm like, Hey, how are you guys doing? Like, Oh, we haven't done really good. We've caught one or two. I'll go walk up to people and say, hey, here's four or five beads that I've been using. You know, I want to see you guys have some success on the water and and try to share that. But I've also noticed that you could tell some people exactly what you're doing, where you're going, exact bead color. This is a hole you want to stand in and they'll go and they won't catch fish. So mm-hmm. well, A lot of it, too, just kind of comes down to experience on that specific body of water. And, uh, you know, being there with somebody who, who knows, knows it and, and how to fish it. So, um, uh, there are times I'll be more open just because, you know, I could tell you where to go, but you still might not be able to, to hit exactly how you need to.
0: Yeah. That, that's not an arrogance thing. That's an experience thing. I, there are a couple mm-hmm. spots where I like to fish too. And I try to explain to people how I do, like if I'm, if I'm fishing with my wife and there's like a specific thing that I'm looking at a, a very specific like where the water is coming up over the rocks and it's like it's that little small white spot, that's what I'm aiming for. But it's so hard mm-hmm. to explain, it's so hard to articulate and then how far upriver feels good versus, and then when do you mend it exactly, just all that feel and all that stuff um, that you just accumulate that knowledge. And for someone else, it's it looks like you're doing exactly what they're doing or that they're mm-hmm. doing what you're doing, but it's just subtly different and makes a big difference and you just can't just different. Yeah.
1: And I, I think that's an important thing I learned this year too, is, you know, as I, as I've been guiding, I think I just finished my sixth season. I was always taught you know, don't touch the rod, don't fish, don't do this. But a lot of times I've, I find that clients are like, Hey, I want to see a fish. And initially I'd be like, no, I don't, I don't want to touch. I don't want to mess up the hole or whatever. But I have found that the more I actually, that I'll take the rod. And I'll cast it and retrieve it and I'll fish that rod. My clients will pick up on things that I'm doing that I haven't even explained to them. It just kind of comes second nature and they're like, oh, okay, I see how you're doing that now. I'll give that rod back to the client and then they'll be able to pick up on a little bit faster. So sometimes they do need that, you know, visual, like this is how I cast. This is what I'm doing. This is how I strip set. This is how I fight the fish. That way, they can kind of kind of see how to do it. Maybe something I can't explain very well, like you said.
0: Yeah, there have definitely been times where I've I've explained something, and then when I do it myself, it's different. And I think, oh man, that's totally different than what I said. I thought I was doing this, but actually, what I was doing was something totally different. Whether it be oh. as something is swinging out, or the angles I had, or you know, just something about what I told my wife to do. Um, yeah, and then I think, oh, my bad. Or <laughs> this is what I think. And let me just double check and uh, and actually do it. But uh, yeah, seeing it is, is so huge because those words can be super ambiguous. Have you ever been uh, um, wakeboarding before? Mm-mm,
2: I have uh, not.
0: I've only went I only went once, and a buddy was trying to explain to me what to do, and he said, "Well, when you're ready, let me know, and then I'll gun it, and you just pop up." And I said, "Well, what do you mean you just pop up?" He's like, "Yeah, you just you just pop up." I'm like, "Well, am I supposed to be like?" in some sort of stance? like Do I, do I you know, flex my core? Or what do I do? He said, like, no, you just pop up. It's such an ambiguous thing. And once you get it, other people are like, yeah, you just pop up. Like, well, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. And I could watch people and still, I don't know what that means because I've never done it. And if I were to get it right, so I've never successfully got up on a wakeboard. Um, I just face plant every single time because I don't know how mm-hmm. to just pop up. But uh, yeah, that can be frustrating. Uh, have there been clients that you could sense we're getting a little bit frustrated. So you have to either like back off or give them the, Hey sport or just pull off to have some food or get a, get a snack at them or something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed that I used to do when I first started, and I'll sometimes catch myself is like, I'll be on a client and then I'll be like almost every cast, like, Oh, do this different, do this different, do this different. And I feel like sometimes it starts to wear wrong. And so there'll be times like, I had a, a guy um, not too long ago. He just couldn't get his cast down, and I would be on him trying to get this cast. And eventually, I'm like, you know what? I've been talking to this guy every cast for ten minutes, and I just I'll walk away. I'm like, I know he's probably not going to get a good drift. There's a chance he'll, he'll he'll luck into a fish, but I'm like, I'm just gonna let him do his thing. I'm going to let them practice, you know, play around with it. It just, if you're on somebody too much, they start, it starts to wear on them and they're not having the good as time, you know, maybe they're getting upset at you a little bit. So yeah, I've learned to just kind of show them what I can, give them some pointers and then kind of step back and then come in every once in a while again, like, Hey, let me show you something here. Let me tell you what you can do here. You know, like you said, take a break, eat something, let the river, um, you know, calm down a little bit, maybe let things warm up. I don't, and those are things also like, hey, let's just, let's take a break here for a second. Let's have some lunch. we got a good lunch spot, you know, water's still cold. Let's let it warm up. When in reality, a lot of times it is giving that person that break. It is yeah. letting the you know let them calm down. And um, I'm, I think I've said it before, but it's like a lot of times when that person wants it so badly or they want to figure it out so badly, they almost try too hard. And that's when, you know, you get frustrated. That's when you, you know, you don't catch as many fishes. I think it all all revolves around attitude. And like, if you're just super chill about it, you're just in it for the experience. That's when you're going to have your success, whether that is catching a fish or learning something or having a good time. And when I can break somebody out of that, whether it's just making these casts and they're just. Oh, dropping F-bombs. I can't get this. I can't get this thing figured out. I'm getting all tangled up. And it's like, let's just take a break, you know, change conversation. You know, what do you do for work? You know, how's your family doing? Like, how has your trip been? When you can break them out of that and get them away from that kind of thinking, that's when the trip Mm -hmm. becomes a lot more of a, more successful, I
0: think. Yeah. Yeah. You sounded like a teacher right there. It was (laughs) my friends that are teachers who also guide during the summer. They say the same thing. It's they love teaching. They love helping people achieve uh, certain things. And while I would never want to teach someone how to fish or be a guide or anything like that, you totally get that. You know, some kids, the first essay that they turn in, you think, oh boy, we've got a long way to long way to go, but how can we get this first little win so we can get some confidence so we can build from there? Because if you just beat him over the head with every single thing, like, oh, this should have been a semicolon and not a comma. It's like, I mean, you just Killing the kid, you know, so it's gotta be, hey, this is good, you understand what's going on here. Something we can build on to help us be successful. That's that's so important. But being able to read Mm -hmm. people is is so huge. I haven't been out with too many guides, but um maybe half dozen or so and or maybe a dozen, I don't know. But uh the ones who are able to kind of sense that and are good people people, um, are the most successful ones, the ones I've had a lot of fun with because they they kind of get it, they they it's not silly. It's not, uh, just, I'm out here. I'm going to make the same amount of money. Hope I get some tips or something like that. It's people who know and understand, keep it entertaining, but also keep it, keep it dialed in. Like we're out here to fish and they can sense that in me. They, they know that I want to do well. Um, so they'll give me some opportunities to do that. And it's, it's cool to, to have people who are energetic and excited about that. Is it easy to, to keep up that, that, uh, that speed and that, uh, motivation and that high level functioning uh, by the time August and September roll around when it's been months and months?
1: Yeah, there is a saying, um, it's called angry August, you know, by the, <laughs> by the time you get late in the season, um, uh, there, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever had a time where like I've ever, you know, just completely lost it or anything, but you know, by the end of the season, you are getting tired. You are kind of, it feels like you're running through the motions, but you just, you know, got to keep it in your head. Like, Hey, I might've been floating this river for the last six, seven weeks in a row, but this is my client's first day. This is their, maybe their only trip to Alaska. You know, I had some 80 year olds in the boat this year, or it might be a kid. I had, you know, some kids 10, 11, 12, this is their first time ever fly fishing. And it's like, I need to portray, I need to give them the best experience I can and give them the best me that I can be, you know, both guide wise and and personality to show them the best trip I can because this might have been their dream trip that they've been trying to do their whole lives, or this could be some kid's first introduction to fishing. And I don't want to ruin either one of those. Um, so I just always try to be as positive as I can. There are a few times that I just, I'm like, Oh, like how could you have missed that bite? How can you not put it right in that drift perfectly? But you just get like, you know what it is what it is. I've got another bend another
0: hole around the bend. and
1: I'm just going to figure it out as we go. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, any other uh, thoughts about fishing before we move into uh hunting
1: um no i just i think it was a great season i had a lot of had a lot of fun um yeah i'm just i'm looking forward to next year i right i, I kind of like this break right now give the give the body a little bit of a break and the the uh the long drives and stuff sleeping in the trailers tra- it's nice having a tra- trailer but, um, it it feels kind of bougie when I go back home. I'm like, man, I've been living in this little tiny trailer for the past few days and I go home and I don't have to set up my shower every Mm -hmm. night. I don't have to use a a bucket for the bathroom. I actually have a flush toilet nearby and electricity. So, um, no, it was a a good season. I learned a lot. And, um, I was thinking like coming back next year will be my fourth season on this river. Um, and I'm starting to feel like I'm kind of getting into a pretty good groove of what to expect. I've, I've, been able to narrow down my fly boxes like all right i have mm-hmm. one pattern and these two colors i have another pattern in these three colors and then these are my top probably dozen bead bead colors and that's all i'm gonna fish and i like right now i've got a, a baggie right here i've just been cranking out Dolly Lamas in the same color just nice. as many as i can and i'm just gonna do you know half a dozen a day um uh, and just prep for next year that way I know what I need at this point. I know when to fish it what to do. And I don't have to sit every night in the trailer and tie flies every, every day.
0: How many nights were you in the trailer this, this summer?
1: Well, I'm not sure. I, I would try to do two or three nights, go home for a night, come back the next day, do two or three nights, go back the next day. So figuring probably four to five nights a week. Mm-hmm. I'd be in the trailer from June till August. How long August. was
0: that? How long is it? Would the drive have been if you tried to drive it every day?
1: It's an hour and a half one way, so it's three hours a day. It's rough, rough. yeah and I, yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, you gotta do, gotta do what you gotta do, yeah, totally what uh what would be your guess about how many flies you lost this summer? Are you talking uh obviously hundreds right?
1: Oh, hundreds, I mean, there are days you'd probably lose a dozen and a half to two dozen. And so you do that every day. Like, that's why I cranked out, I think eight does eight to, no, I think it was more like 10 to 12 dozen woolly buggers the last winter. And I had probably two dozen left like real. And then that was when I fished them was in you know, the first part of June, basically in the last part of June. Um, so, you I mean, you're probably losing a hundred dozen a year, wow. something like that. How yeah, many, a uh, lot. how many rods did you break? uh knock on wood i haven't broken a rod this year i don't i don't not that i can remember i did break one rod the eyelet out of a rod in Mm -hmm. transport but other than that i don't think i snapped a rod this year none of your clients did either Nope. i mean there are a few times where they'd be snagged on something and they're just got that thing fully corked i'm like please drop the rod please drop the rod and and uh yeah i don't think i had any any break this year so my Shane my boss can't give me any crap so I, <laughs> I, I always seem to break rods I think my first year up here I broke like 13 rods oh, or wow. something but yeah it was my first season I haven't broken one but scenes is not over yet so yeah. I'm not kind like <laughs> any reels uh yes yep I actually got one right here that uh um some screws popped out and I just could never get it tightened I think I had one that seized up on me this year too but other than that um, yeah
0: there, it's a little silty, and then on some of those beaches, it can be sandy, and that stuff is just terrible on the reels. Not as bad as salt water, but uh, that can be real tough on there,
1: yeah. Yeah, I've had to take a few reels apart this year and either, you know, re grease and re lube them up, or wash salt and silt out of them. Um, at the start of the season, I actually found two spinning rods that were broken down, like wrapped together, like they were on somebody's boat or something, and I found them in the river, and um. One of the rods was broken and one of the reels was, you know, so gummed up that it wasn't usable. But one of them I pulled out, I mean, it was absolutely full of sand and I took it apart and washed it all out, re-greased it, re-oiled it. And I had like probably 18 pound braid on there and I oh. just keep kept using it and it worked really well. Didn't even replace the line. Hmm. So, yeah, the, the sand is tough on stuff and just trying to keep that clean and keep it going as long as you can.
0: Hmm. So how was the first hunting trip? Like you've been fishing, 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 obviously thinking about hunting once in a while. But the first day that you got uh, to go out, what was it and uh, how'd you do? Um, I went out.
1: So I did a lot of just like evening hunts for moose, um, stuff that was close. Uh, I did a couple duck trips. Mm. Uh, but again, those are just early, early mornings. If I didn't have a trip that day or it was, you know, After a trip, you know, early September, you're getting off the water about 6-ish, and it's getting dark at like 9, 9.30. So, you got like three, three and a half hours of daylight. Um, So, I hunted a lot in the afternoons. And, you know, this is my first season uh, moose hunting by myself. Last year, I had gone... And, um, you know, I'd had, well, my outfitter was with me and we were just, you know, we were fun hunting, um, hunting for ourselves and we were on a week long moose hunt. And that was my first time ever hunting moose. And I pretty much had him, um, there the whole time. So this is my first season going out on my own, finding a spot off the road system. I could go to, um, understanding the terrain, understanding calling and and how to figure all that out. So, that first you know probably two or three weeks of moose season it was all those afternoon trips driving somewhere you know running running through the motions of all right this is the kind of terrain I need to walk into this is how I should call or you know how I should scrape and you know and how I should sound like a moose what I should look for so the first part of the season was a big learning curve for me Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so it was it was it was good and um, having a few little wins one night I called in a, a cow moose I don't know if I called it in or if it happened to be you know right place right time but I felt that was a kind of a little win because um, I I had found this spot on on X I'd walked in and, you know I was this giant meadow like this meadow was so wide my range couldn't even read the other side and it was it was all walking through like you know knee deep just just squishy squishy uh, grass and I walked up to where this this meadow kind of narrowed there was some taller um you know birch in there about head high and i walk in and i'm calling and all of a sudden i hear it push, push, push. And i look over and there's a cow hmm. i don't know probably 120 yards away from me and she walks through the opening I'm like oh maybe there's a bull behind her and two calves like side by side follow her into the meadow and hearing them splashing around in the water you know just 100 130 yards away was pretty cool and just knowing that I was in the right place now, I I can I felt confident in my calling. That that was a, a pretty big win for me. Yeah. Um, and then just smelling moose, finding moose sign, like okay, I, I know this is where they're at. I know I'm looking in the right spots. So I just it's just a matter of time until I find one.
0: Yeah, that that can be that early success can be awesome because it boosts your confidence, gets you really excited about uh, your program. But then if things don't go well after that, you think, man, maybe I didn't actually learn something. Maybe I was really lucky. And so I started, I ran that as my program because I thought it was the right program, but I just happened to get lucky and it was the wrong program. It's what I should not be doing whatsoever. And it's, Mm -hmm. it can be difficult at times to stick with it because you think, okay, I, I should abandon this right now. Like, this isn't good. This is not what I should be doing. But then other times you just stick with it. You say, no, this is good. This is good. This is good. Just got to be patient. Keep running it, keep running it, and you'll be fine. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you start to pick up the nuance, just like learning a river. You know, you mm-hmm. hear people talk about moose hunting, and once you know a little bit about it, and I haven't really done any of it, but mm-hmm. talking to more people and being in the in the terrain and the habitat and seeing moose and think, okay, this is starting to make a little bit more sense, the terrain the calls, the time of year, all that stuff. And I think back to when I was, you know, starting off with the black deer hunting, it was the same thing. It was, you know, just walk around a muskeg, go to the muskeg and call like, well, you know, what does that even mean? Right. So how much should you, should you call it? What should it sound like? Uh, How often should you, you know break in between and then when you're in the muskeg muskeg should you be in the muskeg on the edge of the muskeg hidden from the muskeg on the, on the edge are they going to be out in the muskeg bedded or are they going to be on the edge of the muskeg so many different things that you start to learn and comprehend and you start to really dial it in and it's super exciting to learn that and it's you know just like learning a new river learning a new species it's just a lot of fun to be out there and just you'd notice everything about the ecosystem and you'd notice every little thing about food and, and cover and shade and noise and all that. And man, it's, I love summer, but September and October can be really, really cool too. Yeah.
1: And I just, in a different environment for me, um, you know, thick birch forests where you have a tall canopy and a bunch of like, you know, short stubby grass and like blow down timber and stuff. I've never been in and, just the types of critters and stuff in there. Like I, I have these um, noise canceling headphones, they amplify sound until you shoot and then it kills all sound. And there'd be times I'd be standing on this Ridge and I'm like, Oh, there's something walking up to me. And I, you know, I reach for my gun and I'm looking, I'm like, I know that I can hear something right next to me. And I look down and it amplified the sound of those little like mouse or this little vole or something running through the brush. And I'm like, wow, that That's sounds like good. a good, yeah. And like just those little things like that, watching, you know, mice run around or just watching birds and stuff, th- those little things and having those experiences. Were, I mean, that, that really made my season for me there.
0: Yeah. That, that's an iconic hunt. The moose hunt is an iconic hunt. Uh, trout fishing in Alaska. It's iconic. And you go, there's so many things to do. It's unbelievable. It's, it's overwhelming. we talked about that a lot before, but um, mm-hmm. what else you uh, getting after? What's your next trip?
1: Um, next trip, um, probably doing some, some archery stuff for uh bear. Um, I just yesterday passed my, um, archery certification. So now I can hunt, you know, archery only areas nice. or archery, um, like specific hunts, permits and stuff. So, um, I try to go out and do that tomorrow, um, to some places here, local and, uh, see if I can't find a, find a bear. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you like who get, who did the uh the field day for the shooting portion of that?
1: Uh I have some volunteers there at uh, ADF and G at just down at Rabbit Creek here in town, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so. we don't have a place down here that does it. I think maybe it's once per year. Luckily I'm old enough where I don't have to all I had to do is just pass the online. Th- Actually, I didn't even have to pass the online thing. I just took it just because um but uh, Abby needs to to take the uh The field test thing within a year of passing that so she's we're trying to figure out a time either if it's going to happen around here i don't want to go all the way to juno just for the but an archery test but you know we'll see see what we have to do but she likes rifle hunting anyway so
1: yeah yeah no i have been i took i took it like the end of october last year so i had until the end of this month to take it otherwise I i take everything again and it's just, it was hard last winter. It didn't seem like they had a lot of field days. And it's like a Saturday or a Sunday. And it's like, oh, it's it's so tough to want to give up a day off. You yeah. go do that. But in, in the long run, it's totally worth it. But I think up here, they do like maybe one or two a month. I want to say at least one a month. So mm. that makes it nice. And then you know, if you miss it, at least up here, you know, you could drive to the valley, yeah. you know, towards Wasilla and do it. You could drive down to Soldatna or Seward or whatever. Yeah. They were
0: having the next one. Yeah, If you missed it. So you go uh black bear up high or where are you uh, trying to get them?
1: Yep. Yeah, uh, go up high. I, um, I, I did a lot this spring and a little bit this fall hunting off the road system where it's like pull over glass a mountain, boom, see a bear. Last time we went out, we saw five black bears and a grizz and it's like, Oh cool. I want to go do it. And it's like, but I have, Know a mile, but I have to gain two twenty five hundred feet, and it's just alders all the way until you get to the alpine. And so, um I've done I played that game a lot this year, and it's like, man, I'm just I'm spending all my time bushwhacking to get to these places, and by the time I'm there, they're either gone or the wind's bad, and they've taken off. So, my game plan from here on out, uh, at least where I have been hunting, is to hit a trail. Like don't even glass until I get to the trail and then just find that trail. that takes me to the Alpine. Mm. And as soon as I get to the Alpine, that's what I'm going to start looking. Like, I'm not even going to worry about anything else. And, you know, talk to one of my buddies. It makes sense now. I was like, you know, I'm looking at getting a spotter. What should I get? And he's like, honestly, I sold my spotter. Once I got tired of looking at animals that I couldn't get to anymore. That's a good point. That's a good point. So. So my uh, yeah, my my whole plan is to find a trail into the alpine and once I can get above tree line that's when I'm going to start looking for for bears. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're on the road system and so you can drive anywhere. That uh, that well I mean there's a lot of Alaska that's not accessible by road, but there are a lot of trails. But a lot of the trails seem to I mean they have to attract a lot of people and then from mm-hmm. there you're taking your argo, your everything up it to do you get this feeling that no matter where you go, there's going to be other people there and it's going to be crowded. Um, and then how do you deal with that inevitability?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I don't have any toys. I, I have, you know, a raft at my disposal and like a little single man pontoon boat in my truck. So I look for areas that are like hiking only, like, you know, maybe take a, a four wheeler trailer or whatever to get there and then start striking off on foot. I've noticed a at least up in here in this area, if somebody can't drive to it or take a boat to it or fly to it, they're not going to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that I've been able to separate myself from a lot of people mm-hmm. by just walking, which is what I'm used to back home. You know, back home, you can't just drive a four wheeler up to your moose or you can't, you know, drive it off into this swamp, but up here, anybody can drive anywhere. Um, so getting away. And you know, that was a big thing on, I did that, uh, a moose float this year too, like a five, a five day moose float. And you know, we had jet boats going, you know, up and down the river every day. Nothing terrible, but you know, the one of the last full days of our hunt, we had a, you know, we thought we were back there, we had bushwhacked in, and we had a freaking airboat run right mm-hmm. through the middle of the swamp that we were hunting. And talk about uh, uh, just a, you just felt so deflated, like. Yeah we had floated all week to this spot. This is where when I flew over, you know, this looked like good habitat. We had seen some moose in here and it's like we had seen moose the day before. We had hiked back in, we had like bushwhacked for 2 miles, uh, um, crossed beaver dams and it's like last day of the hunt and you're right where you think you need to be and an airboat. You can hear that thing coming from like 3 miles away just you know hopping beaver dams and oh, it's just it's so deflating um but you know somebody's always going to have a toy that's bigger or better than yours and can get there but i mean all that being said we did call a bull in that night and that uh, through the same exact swamp that that uh, airboat went through so i mean sometimes you just gotta
0: roll with the punches and deal with it what uh was the bull legal did you get a shot or what uh, what happened with that
1: um so you know like i said that we spent that whole day you know bushwhacking last day of the hunt it was a super cool float we did a um, road access to road access and it was a last minute thing threw it together i wasn't going to go on a big moose hunt and um you know i had a buddy happen to text me and he was like hey man are you doing after moose i'm like actually i was thinking about doing this and um we threw it together in like a week dropped in i flew over the route once to make sure you know all my channels were clear um, and then floated down and covered a bunch of habitat. And again, this whole, just learning as you go. And we get to the last full day and hike in, see some cool territory, airboat runs through all dejected, walk back into the swamp and where the main river was, where we had had our raft and and set up camp. um, We had kind of picked this route to get into the swamp. And we started to take this route in and uh, I happened to look over and there's some flagging tape and we walked over to the flagging tape and somebody had actually cut a trail all the way to the swamp. I think somebody had a bear bait back there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we just happened to pick a, a, a random beach and a swamp that we want to go to and somebody had had that path cleared. So what would have taken us taken us probably a half hour, 45 minutes of bushwhacking, we could walk in like less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So we get back to uh we're, we do our big loop, start at that swamp, do this giant, like two mile loop, come back. And there's a, a couple of big spruce trees on the edge of the swamp. And this is probably seven o'clock at night at this point. And um, my buddy I was with, his name's also Kyle. He's probably 12 to 14 feet up in the spruce tree. He's just sitting up there glassing out of this tree because he could see, you know, probably 400 yards one way, 400 yards the other way from up there. And uh, I'm sitting down below and, you know, I'm cow calling. I'm grunting a little bit, just, you know, maybe every 10, 15 minutes, just throwing out a few calls. And he's up there in the tree just looking, looking. And I get, I get bored and I start, te- I had, I had service. so I start texting my wife and all of a sudden I hear a
2: roar, roar, roar
1: like 15 grunts in a row. I'm like, is that, is that what I just thought I heard? And then I did it again, just more, more just like 15, just crisp, clear grunts. And I'm like, there is no way a per- I've never heard a person make 15 grunts in a row trying to call a moose. So I'm like, Hey God, God, I think I hear a moose. I'm whispering out in a tree. And he's like, I, yeah, I can't tell. And so, I'm kind of calling back. I'm kind of imitating that, you know, throwing a bunch of grunts out, a few cow calls here and there. And I just start hearing that moose coming. he had to be several hundred yards off. I think he was in the same, uh, same area that J- airboat went through. And that was, you know, probably six, 700 yards. And, uh, I keep calling and I think I keep hearing him. My buddy can't quite tell he climbs out of the tree. I'm like, dude. I'm like 99% sure this is a. Uh, there's a bull coming in, and he's like, dude. I can't quite tell. We're like mid mid sentence, and you hear one clear, Mwah. and his eyes got so big. He's like, dude, that's an effing bull. He's coming in, <laughs> and um, so he throws a layer back on, goes back up in the tree, and I start calling it a little more aggressive, grunting back. I've got a, a wooden canoe paddle because when you rack that thing in the brush, it sounds just like that hollow um, rack hitting trees. So I'm. Grunting, I'm I'm raking the brush. I'm doing a few like real sexy cow calls. And that bull just coming in like, you know, every few minutes you're hearing a a brush snap or like every step just coming in and me being on the ground calling was great. And I could hear him um, at some points, you know, having Kyle up in the tree looking, he couldn't always hear it, but when he heard it, I couldn't hear it. And when I could hear, he couldn't hear it. So having that separation was really good we can kind of keep tabs on this bull. I texted my wife a little after eight that this bull was coming in and, um, you know, it was getting, starting to get dark, starting to get dark. You can hear this bull work slowly, working his way through this birch forest grunting and just breaking brush. And you know, pro- it's probably about eight 30. I finally hear a sploosh, sploosh. He walks into the marsh and my buddy Kyle's like, dude, I think he just walked into the marsh. And I was like, is it, can you see him? He's like, no, I can't quite see him. And, um, uh, like, dude, I can see him. I'm like, is he legal? I'm like, dude, he's a big bull. I'm like, do you think he's legal to shoot? And he's like, yeah, I think he's illegal, but let me confirm. <laughs> and so he's like, he's, he's right over here to your right. And I'm like, I look over here and he's like, no further left. No, like way left. And so I'm trying to pinpoint where this bull is on the ground. Cause I can only see probably 50, 60 yards in front of me. And Kyle's like, dude, that's a big bull. He's coming in. And uh, I can just hear this bull at this point. Every step.
2: More. More. More.
1: And then he starts raking brush, probably 70, 80 yards. I still can't see him. But Kyle's up in the tree. He can see him. And he is just tearing this tree up. Just like, sounds like he's ripping this thing out of the ground. And just, just these giant snorts that just shakes his whole body. It sounds like a like a dinosaur on Jurassic park. Like this thing is just extremely loud and he slowly works into the opening and it's like a quarter to nine. And I, it's, I can barely see. And I just, I start seeing these antler tips walking and he's just walking into this marsh, just swaying every step. Mm I'm like, dude, can you, is he legal? And he's like, if he's 50, he's right there. Cause he doesn't lay out super wide. He, he's kind of a taller bull. His tines kind of go up. And, um, this whole week I've been on Facebook and I don't know if you're part of any of these groups with these people who were like, what well, do you guys think this bull measures? Yeah, that, uh, re- Great Alaska
0: like, hunting, whatever, or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked at a couple yeah. of those.
1: Yeah, so I've, I've been showing Kyle these. I'm like, what do you think this bull measures? And, and, you know, it's hard to do by a picture, right? But, you know, reading everybody's comments, you kind of kind of can kind of get an idea. And I've seen bulls. You know, my bull last year was 48 inches, but he had three brows. So kind of judging it off of bulls that I know what they measure, I'm like, oh, he is so close. If he's 50, he's like there. Like we kind of put him into this range of 48 to 52, and it's like – He's too close to call. Like if I have, if I'm going to worry about it and I can't count brows, I'm not going to pull the trigger. Well, mm-hmm. so this bull is just slowly walking out. And this point he's about 40 yards. Kyle's up in the tree and this bull is grunting every step, ripping apart brush. And he walks out into the opening and I'm on the ground and I do a really loud grunt right at him and he stops. And he just slowly turns his head. I, I'm up on the stump. So I'm like perfectly eye level with this bull. And he's looking right at me, 30 yards, perfectly broadside. And I'm just looking at that rack and I'm like, oh, I just, I can't tell. And so I've, I've got my gun. I, I can, I can still see my reticle through my scope. And so I, I put it on the bull's chest and I'm like, ah, oh, I can't tell. Like, I, then i look at his rack and i look at his chest and I'm like, I can still see, Put the gun down. Look at the binoculars. Kyle's up on the tree. He's got a pair of those uh, like range-finding binoculars. So he's got you no know, really good glass. And we just can't tell. We can both see for sure that he has two brow tines on his right side. I don't know. Something with the light, the ways those two brow tines were configured, you could tell he had two on that right side. But I just couldn't put a third one on. Um, couldn't really see his left side. And I'm just standing there the bull still looking at me. I've got that paddle, so I'm just kind of waving it back and forth. I've got a piece of brush, so I'm just shaking this bush just so he, he knows that something's still there, kind of give him a little bit of movement. And man, I mean, and at this point Kyle and I are talking to each other like as loud as you and I are talking right now, <laughs> and this bull doesn't care. Though you get like his eyes are just like rolled in the back of his head. He is just so ready to fight, so ready to go. And um I bet that bull stared at us for five minutes. He just stood there in the open. I could have shot him the whole time. Kyle had his gun in the tree. He could have shot him the whole time, but he was just so close to 50. And we couldn't see the brows that we opted not to pull the trigger. And he starts to walk off and just keeps grunting. Not, wasn't scared. Wasn't, you know, concerned. So I grab that paddle and I walk out. I feel like Jim Shockey. I put that paddle (laughs) and I'm like walking out, grunting at him. And Kyle's like, Hey man, I think we can come back and get this bull tomorrow. No need to go after him. And looking back now, that was probably really dumb to go (laughs) chase a really rut crazed bull out into the meadow with a a paddle. But uh, he just walked off and kept grunting and then snorting and ripping up trees. So super cool experience. Kyle climbed out of the tree, just, Oh dude, so awesome. Fist bumping, just super stoked that the whole week led to that. And then just being so close, mm-hmm. but just not knowing and not being able to pull the trigger. I mean, if we had shot that bull and he had died close, easy, you know, 300 yard pack out on a well-broomed trail, right to the raft that we could float out the next day. But, um, so close but super cool and then that's all that learning we were talking about like learning the calls mm-hmm. and learning the train what to look for how they react you know uh, that grabbing that canoe paddle was like a, a last minute thing that i thought of listening to um a podcast that adam Grenda was on and he was saying that he uses that to imitate bull raking i was like oh i'll go buy one like 20 bucks and i, I think that played a huge part in it because if you use that compared to um, even like those bull, like megaphones, or even a stick, it just sounds so much more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, playing around with, you know, those really long drown out, drawn out uh, cow calls versus just these really short ones with a lot of, you know, um, voice inflection and stuff like,
2: wah, 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 wah,
1: like all these really weird up and downs. It's not just one long continuous note. Mm-hmm. Um, playing around with that, and honestly recording a lot of videos of myself and Kyle calling on that hunt. And then both of us listening back and being like, Oh, that, I don't know how realistic that sounds. Let's try changing this up a little bit or a little bit shorter. Um, and then, yeah, just all, you know, coming to that moment and having that cool experience. And it's, it feels better not knowing like, and in one way it hurts. Cause it's like, I really wanted to shoot that bull. Like that's how, you know, feed the family for the year. But it's also knowing that I didn't necessarily miss out on an opportunity because I couldn't tell if he was legal. Mm -hmm. It's like I did everything I could. It'd be like coming up on on a ram and, you know, maybe he's not full curl, but you can't tell how old that ram is. So it's like I did everything I could, but just the animal wasn't legal or I couldn't tell if he was legal and I didn't want to take the chance because I don't want to lose – you know, shoot a sublegal bull, turn yourself in. You're still going to have to do everything you would with that meat and take care of that animal the same way, you know, if you're taking it home and you just have, have to turn it over if you, if you, you know, shoot a sublegal. Um, so it's like you'd have to go through all that work just to turn it over. You'd lose your tag, um, you know, maybe pay a fine or, you know, sometimes some people lose gear over that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Right. So I'm not going to even take that chance. I'm going to play it safe, you know, just. Learn from the experience and and uh go back next year, and maybe he's a little bit bigger,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really easy before the hunts to say all those right things, but then we get tempted in the moment, and it's you have to reinforce over and over and over again because if you're in that moment and you do the right thing, you still then have to do the right thing again and then again and then again. it does become easier, but still there's all those temptations and if it is a new hunt or a different hunt or it costs more money. And all of a sudden it's like, man, we should just, I'm sure it's fine. You start to see something that's not really there and you just do it and it ends up being bad. So it's um, its nice that uh, you made the right call. It's good that in that moment you made the right decision and you weren't so desperate that uh, that you, you cut some corners. So, uh, yeah, but that's not easy to do, not easy to do.
1: Yeah, especially, you know, at that point, that was the last day of that trip. I'd been doing all those evening hunts. I think that then I'd had probably close to 20 days in the field, I think. So it's like being that long in the field and having that kind of opportunity, oh, it was just, it was so bittersweet. Like I was just, I was so close, you know, safety off, finger on the trigger, but it's like, I just can't do it. I mm-hmm. just got to learn from the experience and, and move on. Yeah.
0: Well, what else you got, man? Coming up on an hour here. I uh, did it. A- some good stories in there. Uh, what else you got for, uh, this uh, upcoming winter?
1: Um, I guess I, I forgot to mention I'm going, um, on a blacktail hunt in, uh, kind of the middle part of November. Um, I've never hunted blacktail before. Um, this is, again, this is kind of a last minute trip that, uh, one buddy brought up to me. He said, Hey man, let's go, let's go do this trip. And I was like, yeah, let's go do it. I found another buddy. Three of us are going figuring out logistics. Original guy actually had to drop out, found another guy, to replace it. Um, we, we rented a cabin out there for five days. Nice. So, um, some place to stay. I don't know, you know, weather could be nice, could be really bad. Um, you know, finding transportation there. It, it's going to be a, a long boat ride. Um, but yeah, that'll be super fun. Um, trying to shoot some, some deer in the rut. Um, I, I'm honestly just trying to put meat in the freezer. Um, I'm going to shoot the first legal animal that comes in. I can shoot five deer, I think. So he's nice. trying to shoot um, as many as I can. Got five days, you've got two residents, um, me and the other guy. He's already shot a deer this year, so he can shoot four. Um, the other guy coming in is a non-resident. He's just going try to try to harvest one. Uh, I, I would be very surprised if we all – you know, filled our, filled our tags, but if we can get, you know, two or three deer out of the group, that'd be awesome. Um, bring some shotguns, maybe try to get on some sea ducks um, and just en- enjoy our time out there. So I'm um, really looking forward to that. And, and that was another big thing too, is, is finding somebody that you really um, hunt well with, finding a good hunting partner. You know, my wife and I hunt together a lot and we really enjoy that. Um, but, you know, having, having a buddy like Kyle, I mean, he and I were just like, that was our first like big hunt together was that float trip. And uh, we're going to Kodiak. He has a brown bear tag next spring. And so I'm going to be spending 10 days with him there. And then now we've got this trip coming up in November, but finding somebody that you really balance well with. Kyle's really, oh, he really wants to get out there and do this stuff. And um, I, I tend to be more of a cautious person out of the, out of the groups that I'm with. And so I'm kind of like, Hey man, let's hang back. Let's do this we can both kind of play off of our strengths and our weaknesses a little bit. And, uh, you know, getting along well with some, we were both one of those dudes and we were talking about it. Like nobody likes the person that's down to do anything like, Oh dude, I don't care what you want to do. Let's do what you want to do. And he'd be like, well, I don't care what I want to do. What do you want to do? And so it's like, he and I are both so similar like that we hunt really well together and compliment each other. So, I mean, I'm already planning stuff for next year and just with him and trying to figure things out. And it's cool to now have that kind of, that uh that partner to do stuff
0: with so yeah yeah, really looking forward to that yeah it's getting down to uh we're starting to get to like pre-rut time down here and last year abby and i said you know we're gonna shoot as many deer as we can in the alpine you know we have eight tags between us so shoot as many as we can it's funny that we have not got one yet you know and southeast alaska is just known for the alpine deer hunting and it's it's the best but uh you know sometimes stuff just doesn't happen so it's that uh yeah, if you can get one, excellent. Be totally happy and content with that. Know that there's going to be variables. And if it is a situation where you can uh, have a hot streak or, you know, get some down, then it's awesome and take advantage of that. But uh, yeah, that's what makes it interesting. If it was as easy as just showing up and, and getting them, then it wouldn't probably nearly be or be nearly as fun. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I've been watching a lot of videos, you know, from anywhere, anybody hunting black tails and. Um, I've been practicing, I got a call and I've been, you know, practicing some, some fawn bleat or like fawn in distress mm-hmm. and like doe bleats and stuff. And, um, I just really want to call something. And even, you know, even if I don't shoot something, calling it in, I, I I love hunting animals that I can call in, whether that, you know, be elk and turkeys back home or, or moose or deer, just ducks, things you can call in. I, I, I really enjoy being able to uh, communicate with that animal and being able to bring them in, you know, within bow range, even bringing them super close and being able to, you know, kind of have that moment with that animal. I'm, I'm yeah. super excited about that. Yeah.
0: Well, um, thanks for being on here, man. Really appreciate it. Give a, give a plug to, uh, your podcast and, uh, Heather's choice and all that.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. Uh, the podcast, uh, my buddy Keaton and I have called the young guides podcast. Um, just kind of getting things rolling again, he and I, during the guide season, gets really busy, so we don't have as many uh, episodes coming out. But uh, putting out one or two a week, um, having guests on there, uh, fishing, um, hunting, um, having guides, biologists, um, you know, local businesses, uh, just folks that uh, uh, we want to share their background and what they're doing, and maybe uh, teach some folks some things or t- a thing or two, kind of be educational in that way. Um, and then yeah, back at the grind at Heather's Choice, um, getting products back in stock and uh um getting people back out there eating healthy and feeling good on the mountain. Um, we've got some seasonal uh pack-a-roon flavors. Macaroons are our little uh, coconut cookies, um, like dehydrated macaroons and um we've got some uh, pecan pie, uh Santa's coal, candy cane, and um oh, what's the last one? Um uh, cranberry white chocolate. So we got some seasonal flavors nice. out there. So check those things out. And, uh, they make great
0: stocking stuffers. <laughs> Perfect. Good pitch. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate you being on here. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I Bye. appreciate it. See it.